Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about communication. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you something that's really exciting. In the last year, our sermons have been listened to over 11,000 times on different podcast hosts. It's a pretty remarkable number, and we're really thankful for that. It's our goal that that number would continue to go up, though, and one of the best and easiest ways to make that happen is if you would leave us a rating and or review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. We would really appreciate that. As I say a lot, we think that our content is helpful to people and we want more people to hear it. And so please, if you have been impacted in any way by our sermons, please, please, please leave us a rating and or review. We would really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I've, I've uh, kind of grown out of this stage, but you learn something really quickly when you're around babies, when you have babies, if you're babysitting a baby, and that's that you should never take anything from them without giving them something else. Do you know that phenomenon? Like we had this little uh, thing that hung kind of down, a pacifier thing, and and you weren't supposed to have it in the car with your kid. And so with our daughter, you know, like we're about to put it, we're strapping her in a car seat. She's got this pacifier dangly thing in. And then you take it from her and, and you only have to do it once to realize that you have to give her something else. Anything she wants, in fact, uh, if you want to get somewhere without uh, dying of, you know, hearing loss or whatever. And, and I think most parents learn this trick really quickly. Like you have to, you have to find something better to give a kid if you're going to take something from them or else you'll have a giant fit on your hands and this this doesn't really change as they get into the you know that my kids are two and four now and they don't they still it's still kind of a thing like uh, this guitar right here I think I bought this for Hazel when she was you know 10 months old or something at the Dollar Tree and and if I just would have taken this away from her and said, ah, we're throwing it away. My goodness, my kids are hoarders. They, they do not like getting rid of things at all. Never in a million years would they have been cool, either one of them, with getting rid of this Dollar Tree store that doesn't have any, I don't know the words, I'm not a music guy, but tone or pitch or sound that is different than strings. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, but, but uh, I mean, then we got this, you know, uh, and this is way better. I mean, let me just check this out. You can actually like play Look at that, I sound like I'm one of the guys now playing in, on the band up here. Uh, and, and so you give them something like this, and, and it's a lot easier to, to say, hey, this is going to Goodwill, or maybe in this case, the trash can. This is going to the trash can, and look what we got you, kids, you know? And then, and then they, they handle that a lot better. Uh, you may know this about me, you may not, but every, every week almost, I uh, come to the end of my sermons, and then I go wander around Goodwill. Uh, because it helps me with illustrations, it kind of frees my mind it, or, you know, makes me think about weird stuff that might apply. And, and so I wander around Goodwill, and this week I was doing it, and, and I'm like, man, what's, what's the illustration? You know, I'm looking down the aisles, like what little thing that I can't believe somebody ever owned is, is the illustration for what I'm trying to say at the beginning of this sermon. And then it came to me, it's goodwill. Like the entire place is, is filled with people's stuff and most of the time they give it away because, this is what I want you to get, they've replaced it with something else. And you go and, and we gave a couch to goodwill last year and, and this is how that went. We had this couch that we really liked but then there was a puking incident 
and, uh, and, and it wasn't me or Bren, it was one of my children, and, and, and we, we cleaned it. Uh, people are now, if you've been to my home, you're thinking, did I sit on that couch? You know, like, oh no. Uh, we, we, we cleaned it as best we could, but I, I think the puke was gone, but the water stain never really went away. And if you ever came over to my house, if you've been there for a prayer night or whatever, then, then you may have seen that we always had a blanket on it because because, well, you didn't know, but it, because there was puke underneath and, and we, we didn't want you to know. And, and we, we talked about it. It's like, we're never gonna get rid of this because there will be another puking incident at some point and I'm not gonna pay for a new couch. But then I was at a friend's house after, before softball season, a, a person I play softball with in Tualatin. And I went out to the garage to get a ball for Hudson, which we do at every party, everywhere we go, we try to find a ball. And, and I walk into their garage and there's couches, very nice couches. And I say, why are there couches in your garage? And, and this girl says, do you want them? And I said, yep. And, and so where did our old couch go? Well, actually it went to the church property and then to the dump because of the puke stains, not to goodwill. But we got rid of it because we knew that we could replace it with something better. It seems that from the, the time we're born, and, and frankly, until the time we die almost, that, that this is a type of attitude that we have. We are, we are not quick to get rid of things, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, if we don't think we can replace them with something else. Uh, we, we like to know that what we get rid of can be replaced with something else and, and frankly, something better. Let me turn a, a corner there because I, I think that this is true in our communication. We're talking about communication in this series, and we've seen a lot of things. And, and I know that for most of you have had good conversations about this series. It seems to have been an important one for a lot of you. And, and I know that what's come out of it, even though I don't feel like I've preached to this, it seems like what has come out of it is that people look and they go, there's all these things that I need to get rid of when it comes to the words that I say, how I say the words, uh, what I do with my words. There's all of these things that I need to get rid of. It's things I have to get rid of. And, and what I haven't heard people say, and maybe this is just me not doing a good job, but hopefully we'll fix it today, is what those words should be replaced with. Because we communicate in the way we do for a variety of reasons, but I think if I could go back in time and, and look at my own life, from a young age, I learned that I needed to communicate in a way that, that allowed for me to be socially relevant, to make friends, to, to have people like me, to influence more people, and so most of my communication has been driven by kind of social influence and, and the way that it plays out for me socially, and you're, I would guess, you know, kind of the same. But sometimes those social interactions drive negative communication. And so through this series, if you've been here, if you haven't, then, I mean, go back and listen to this series, please, please, please. But like, if you've been here through this series and, and you've only come away with like, I need to rid myself of these things, it leaves this gaping hole because, because you've learned to communicate in a way because it socially is helpful to you. And so you go, well, what do I, what do I put in its place, what do I fill it with? What do I replace my bad communication with? And, and this is the question that I think we're gonna answer in this sermon today as we finish this series. Here's my proposition for this morning. You must rid yourselves of filthy communication. That's what we've kinda 
seen. That's what people have got from my series so far, even though I think my points have been better than that. But that's what people have taken away. I need to rid myself, myself of filthy communication. You must rid yourself of filthy communication. And, and here's the main point. You must replace it with, with Jesus' conversation. You must rid yourselves of filthy communication and replace it with Jesus' conversation. And what is Jesus' conversation? Because I don't want you to be the weird guy that only talks about Jesus at your work. And I think what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is what Jesus' conversation is. And it's probably going to surprise you. And we're going to look in, in the beginning here at Colossians 3.8. And this is what it says. Paul writing a letter to a church in Colossae. He says, but now you must rid you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It's interesting because commentators will say here that, that this list of sins is very specific, it's very particular, that Paul, in fact, one guy said, took great care in choosing this list. And the, the reason for that is this entire list is of sins that will break down, tear down, hurt our relationships with other people. And we talked about at the very beginning of the series, I talked about how communication is so central to every one of our relationships. Like this was not a series where I had to say, this matters to you, like please pay attention. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking people into that in my sermons, like let me tell you why you need to know about this. But we all know that good communication facilitates good relationships and bad communication facilitates bad relationships. John Stott, an author and theologian, said this about these sins. They are precisely the sins of speech that make harmonious human relationships impossible. Such evils were at the heart of a pagan society, as it is these very things which destroy every dream of human brotherhood today. Paul's like, hey, I want you to remove sins that break down your relationships, that tear down the relationships that you have with one another. When I came to this list, it was really interesting because four out of the five we've already talked about in this series through other passages of Scripture, and so they must be a big deal. Let me just briefly kind of catch them again. Anger and rage, I said in another sermon series, that these are almost synonymous words in the New Testament. We're to rid ourselves of all anger and rage. And Man, does anything have a more negative effect on our communication than anger? Even the best of us uh, communicators who, who try to always communicate what we mean and speak the truth in love, if we get angry enough, then we are going to communicate things that are evil sometimes, that are hurtful, that tear down relationships. Malice refers to just kind of general bad behavior, language, those types of things, just general badness. Slander is uh, this English word, and I hope I say this right, but it's calumniation. I keep, kept seeing that word as I, as I was looking up this word in Greek, and this is how people would define it in English. I'm like, I don't even know what that word means, so let me tell you, you're probably like me in that regard. It means to utter maliciously false statements or charges, and it might refer to just saying bad things about people in general. This is saying negative things about people, especially behind their backs. Those are four things that we've covered in this series already. They're four really important things as they're connected to our communication. If we're constantly angry, it's going to be hard to communicate well. By the way, I preached a sermon series on anger. If you're like, ah, that's my problem, wilsonville.church slash quiet wrath. Go there, listen to it. I think you'll find it helpful. Bad, we shouldn't be bad, right? I and mean, we shouldn't talk badly about people behind their backs. And then he gets to this other 
interesting word, filthy language. Not a word we've come across in this series because it's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament, the second half of your Bibles. It's a word that means the license of an ungoverned tongue, obscene language, but not limited to this. It refers to low or obscene speech, and it's really about abusive speech. It's about all of the things, all of the things that we've talked about as far as bad communication goes. And when I say bad communication, I said this in the very first sermon in this series, I don't mean communication that is unclear. I mean communication that is hurtful and has a negative impact on our relationships. He says, remove all of it. Remove all of it. We are commanded to rid ourselves of these things. And I find that word rid really interesting. And when I was thinking about what's, what's something that I've, I've just rid myself of because I've had a change of heart, a change of mind. And, and the thing that, that came to my mind were love letters and pictures of, of girls that were significant others in my past. I know that some people keep these things forever, but if a girl broke my heart, I was, I was the guy burning everything, like immediately, like, like all the pictures, all the memories, everything that I could possibly think of. You gave me a shirt, I'm blowing it up, you know, like I don't want to think about you or hear about you or see about you. And, and, and I think what Paul gets at is that when we have a change of heart, we decide we want to live for Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, then, then with that, there's some changes that should come. And one of those changes is that we should rid ourselves, we should be done with, we should blow up, get, get all of the bad, filthy language out of our lives, the language that, that hurts relationships with other people. By the way, weird, weird thing. I planned on saying that, and then I was at my uh, mother-in-law's house last night for uh, her birthday party, and I looked on her refrigerator, and there's a picture of, of my wife's ex-boyfriend with my brother-in-law's. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? So I ripped it up and threw it away. Uh, no, I didn't, but I took a picture of it, uh, and I'll talk to her about it later. Um, not sure what my mother-in-law thinks of me at this point. It's crazy. It was like, what? I thought we, I thought we got rid of all this stuff, um, but apparently not. Um, and now listen, listen, listen. So here's in Colossians 3, 9, and 10, what Paul says, because this is, this is bigger. The context here is really important. Uh, in Colossians 3, 9, and 10, he says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, the context here is, is that when we become Christians, if you've become a Christian, then you have, have become a new person in a lot of ways. And, and maybe you know this, but the Bible talks about being born again. And it frequently talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. When we become Christians, there should be a, a total change of heart and mind and action and apparently, according to Paul, communication. And so Paul is saying, when he, when he says, rid yourselves, he's saying, look, these things that tear down our relationships, these, these communication things that hurt relationships with others, they are not part of the new self. They are not indicative of what it means to be a Christian and to live as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then, then you may have Christians in your, in your life and you look at them and you go, man, they just don't really act like, like I think a Christian should act. 
And my guess is that, that most of the time when you say that, you probably don't have any inside information onto their real personal lives, like whether they're nice to their spouses or you know, they've committed adultery or whatever. You probably don't have any inside information. You're just basing that idea on the way in which they communicate. And you're going, wow, that doesn't, they just don't, they don't seem like they really live for Jesus. And you're, what you're really saying is they don't, they don't really seem like they talk in a way that is indicative of a person who has become a new creation in Christ. You wouldn't say it in those words, but they don't talk in the way that a Christian should talk. And he says, look, we should be renewed in the knowledge of our thinking and the image of our creator. And when that happens, it changes the words that we say. The greater context here, and at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says that we should be people who are constantly looking upwards, that we should be people who are focused on things above, where Jesus rules and reigns. There's this entire kind of section where he's saying, look, your entire life should be driven by the idea, the knowledge, the belief, and the thoughts that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he rules and reigns over all of creation and you have declared him Lord. If you've done that, then that should drive how you, how you live and what you look like and all the things that you do. We should be constantly looking upwards. And then he says, put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Put to death, get rid of the things that don't align with your knowledge, your belief that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all people who place their faith in him. And then, and then he says, here's some things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And all of us would be like, absolutely, I should get rid of all of those things. Of course, I shouldn't you know, have, be evil. I shouldn't have evil desires, and I shouldn't be sexually immoral, and I shouldn't be greedy. Of course, Christians are like that. And that's right after that. He gets to our passage, and he says, oh, by the way, also, in the same vein, in the same line, because of the same beliefs, because of the same way that you love Jesus, because of all that, in the same way, rid yourselves of these things that ruin human relationships, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language or abusive language from your lips. They're connected to the old self and not the new self. So there it is. That's, that's uh, the big point that everybody's already taken away from this series. And and it leaves this really important question. Well, what do I replace it with? Ridding ourselves of filthy, abusive language is a part of living a life for Christ, right? We got that. But we all know, as I've already pointed out, that, that we're going to replace it with something. I mean, we're not just going to stop talking. Nobody has, you know, the opportunity to do that. I have said in this series we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. But we're not going to have the opportunity to stop talking. Society doesn't allow for that. So what do we do? Jesus even has a parable about the dangers of ridding yourself of something without replacing it with something else. In Luke eleven twenty four through 26, he says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Some author online says, sadly, if good things do not fill empty spaces, evil things do. If we just leave this sermon series saying, well, I, you know, I, I shouldn't swear and I, I shouldn't gossip and I shouldn't lie and I shouldn't talk badly about people and I shouldn't yell and I, I shouldn't, 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 then we run a risk of, of later down the road replacing all of that bad language that we tried to get rid of with worse language, worse communication. And so 
Paul tells us you must rid yourselves of these things, but what's so cool is just a few verses later, he shows us what we should replace them with. And the answer is Jesus' conversation. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The first thing is so important. I mean, this is key. If you're going to replace your language with something else, then you must let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The message of Christ is, is more literally the message about Christ. That's what the intended meaning here is. The message about Christ, that is the gospel story. If you're a Christian, you believe what I'm about to say. If you're not a Christian, then, then here's what we believe. We believe that all people have, have rejected God in their hearts. They have sinned against God. They have done things that are wrong because of the nature and character and commands of God. And God, instead of looking down and saying, well, I'll just punish them eternally or I'll wipe them out, I'll get rid of them, it's no big deal, I can move on, I'm God. He looked down from heaven and, and in his infinite grace, mercy, and love, he said, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down there and I'm going to save them from their sins. I'm gonna make things better for them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to forgive them. And, and he came down in the person of Jesus. You've heard of him. And, and Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And at the end of that sinless, perfect, you know, no fault life, he died on a cross. But when he died on a cross, it wasn't just a bad physical death. It was an excruciating, the worst death of all time, spiritually speaking, because he was actually paying the full punishment of every one of our sins. And what the Bible says, and you need to know this, you need to remember this if you're a Christian, understand this if you're not. The Bible says that if we believe that story, if we place our faith in that story and say, I can't be saved in any other way, so I will place my faith in that story that Jesus died for my sins, and then we give our lives to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I declare you as Savior, but I also declare you as Lord. I'm gonna give you my life. Then we, we get a new life, the new life I already talked about. We come into a relationship with God, we are forgiven for our sins, and we have eternity in heaven to look forward to. And Paul says, rid yourselves of filthy language, of filthy communication, and replace it with, with conversation that is driven by this story about Jesus and all of the things that it is connected to. I think Paul would be okay with us adding all the things that the Bible talks about. He specifically, I mean, listen how he describes this. He's talking about how we should talk as Christians. He says, look, let it dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another. I mean, we should let biblical truths be dwelling among us abundantly, richly, as we interact with each other so that we can admonish and teach each other, we can push each other to move forward in our spiritual lives. Paul is saying this is, what, this is what communication should look like between Christians. It should be filled with the word of God. And, and as it's filled with the word of God, it should encourage and inspire and push people forward and it should teach them new truths. Let me just, let me just ask a question. I mean, how... How often in your relationships here with other Christians do you inspire and encourage and teach each other with biblical truths, with, with words about that gospel that I just described? If you've been around for any amount of time at all, you'll know that, that one of the 
things that I'm convicted of, that I, that I am in the process of working on, and, and it's a slow process, it seems. It's just that I don't feel, I don't believe that I talk about Jesus enough in, in just normal, everyday life, and it's true even when I'm with Christians. I just, I just want to be so excited about Jesus that I just talk about him. I do, you probably know this if you know me at all, I talk about the things I'm excited about. I either think that it's the best or the worst. Those are the two types of things I have in my head. I'm very polarizing in that way. And Jesus, I think, is the best. He's on the best side. And it's weird to me that I just don't talk about him enough. And Paul comes along and he says, look, you rid yourselves of this filthy filthy communication, this evil communication, and, and when you're with Christians, the thing that you replace it with, when you're with Christians, with, when you're with other people in your church, the thing that you replace it with is the word of God, biblical truths that admonish and teach the other people that you're with. I'd be amiss if I didn't point out that he, that he says one of the key ways that we do it, we do it through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit singing to God. I've preached on this passage. It's a big deal to me. It's an area uh, that I think we lack as a church. We don't come ready to sing biblical truths. We don't come ready. Listen to this. Singing is not only about you. When you come and you sing to God, it isn't only about you. It's about the people sitting around you too. You're singing in order to teach and admonish them with the biblical words, the true words that we put up on this screen every week. You don't come here to sing and just talk to God. You come here and you sing these words in order to inspire the people around you. Brandon and I sometimes talk about, it's, a, it's an analogy that he stole from somebody a long time ago, but we talk about how inspirational it can be, how inspiring it can be when you when you're, show up on a Sunday and, and you're kind of half-heartedly singing the songs and then you, you get a whiff, this is how we say it, you get a whiff of somebody that, that is sensing the Spirit's movement and they are genuinely engaging in the songs that they're singing and you can tell they're not just singing them but they're believing them and they're meaning them and all of those things and it inspires you to do the same. Paul says, here's, here's what you replace, here's what you replace your filthy communication with its Jesus conversation and part of that is just biblical truth and not just biblical but truth that's surrounded about around the gospel and the story of Jesus and part of that part of sharing that is through your song through the things that you sing when you're together and he says to do it all with gratitude in your hearts this word thankfulness just keeps coming up as I as I study for this series and then preach the sermons and uh, we're going to come back to it in a minute because this word gratitude is so interesting because it's actually the word grace. He's going to say thankfulness in a verse we're going to look at next, but, but, but it's about having grace in your hearts. Gratitude makes sense, but it isn't just about being thankful. It's about being thankful because you are thinking about, considering, understanding, reflecting on the incredible grace of God who looked at you a sinner and said, I'm not willing to have you spend eternity apart from me, I'm gonna come die for your sins. Our conversations should be driven, our communication should be driven by an understanding of God's grace. And, and as we've talked about in the series, our, our mouths speak what the hearts are full of. And, and our hearts, he tells us here, should be full of, if we could just have one word, one thing that, that's in our hearts, it's the grace of God. And it should pour out of us when we communicate with other Christians so that they are taught and admonished as we communicate with them.
But listen, listen to verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in, notice this, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, he says, whether in actions or communication, everything that you do should be in the name of the Lord Jesus. To do something, when you say this, right, if you've ever said in the name, in Jesus' name, name of Jesus, anything like that is probably connected to the end of a prayer, right? And we just use it to say, I'm wrapping this thing up right now. Like, this is the end. But to do something in the name of another person, culturally speaking at the time of Jesus, and then biblically speaking about Jesus, is to do something kind of in the will of the person whose name you are speaking in. One author said this, it's in the harmony with his revealed will, in subjection to his authority, and in dependence on his power. When you do something in the name of another person, you are doing it in their authority and with their reputation in mind. Wow, that's big. When you communicate, when you talk, when you use words, the words that you use should be in the name of Jesus. You should be using them because you care deeply about the authority, the will, and the reputation of the Jesus that you claim to serve if you call yourself a Christian. That's a big deal. I mean, if we just processed all of our communication through that lens, like, like hey, would Jesus like this? And does this make Jesus look good? Would Jesus like this and does this make Jesus look good? If all of the words that we spoke or typed or whatever wrote, if all of the words that came out of us were filtered through that lens, I think it would change our communication for good. I mean, one of the things that you replace your, your negative communication with is, is simply uh, communication that shows Jesus to be great like he is. It's a big deal. And then another one, thankfulness, man alive. It seems that Christians are almost known now for being complainers. And every step of the way, every passage almost that I've looked at in this series has something about like being thankful. Like almost all of the communication that I've read about in the New Testament has been connected to us being thankful. And I, I look around, I, I listen I take kind of the flavor, the feel of, of cultural Christianity, and we're, we are absolutely known, whether it's your fault or not, we are known for all of the things that we are against and not for the things that we are for. And I think that's in large part because we don't, we don't express thankfulness. A lot of people, a lot of Christians that I know, you would think, you would think that they hadn't been saved by the God of the universe. You would think that they didn't have a good story to tell. You would, you would think that there was no relationship with God. You would think that they've been brought into something that really made no difference in their lives. And you would think that because they spend most of their time talking about how bad things are. Look, this life can suck. We can all agree on that. There's hard times. And there's times when you need to just express your heart. But goodness gracious, as Christians, we should be known for how thankful we are. Not how many problems we have. There's great examples of this in the history of the church. Some of the great men and women who have died for the faith or died in terrible circumstances have gone out saying, man, I'm so thankful, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the grace that you have upon my life. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody. I won't tell you the story because I, I haven't run it by them, but man, they've suffered something terrible and, and, they, and they just were like, I'm so thankful that, 
that God has put me in this situation because he's going to teach me things and he's going to help me and he's going to show me his grace in the midst of it. Wow. How different would our communication be if that's what we sounded like all the time? Not like government sucks and this country's going downhill and I, I hate my life, but like, yeah, some things are pretty bad. But if you want to know the language that's indicative of me as a Christian, it's thankfulness because I believe a story that, that overcomes all evil, that overcomes all bad, that overcomes all things that I struggle with, that I deal with. I, over, I believe a story that, will, that, that allows me to be in eternity with Jesus someday, and I believe a story that makes this life just a little blip, a little speed bump, this day a little, a, a little speed bump in, in my destiny to spend eternity with the God who saved me in a place that will be absolutely perfect and will have no more tears or pain or suffering or mourning or hurt or death. We should be the most thankful people on earth. And right now, whether it's your fault or not, we're known as the biggest complainers. It should not be this way. This is how we talk to Christians. When we talk to Christians, our, our words are filled with the gospel story and the surrounding things. When we talk to Christians, we are expressing our thankfulness and our hope through song and other ways. But how do we talk at work? I mean, what do we do when we're with those people who just, they're not going to want to hear about Jesus. They, they don't really care. Uh, in fact, they'll be annoyed. What, what does that communication look like? Because it's not just about ridding yourselves of all the swear words, you know, and the talk that isn't indicative of, of being a Christian. What do we replace those things with? Well, he tells us. It's a little while later. You flip over to chapter 4 in your Bible. You read chapter 4, verse 6, and here's what he says. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And the context of this is one of prayer and watchfulness for, this, for an opportunity to share Jesus with people. That's the context. We are prayerful for people, hoping that they'll give their lives to Jesus, and then we're looking for opportunities to share Jesus with them. By the way, a little side note, if you find, I said something like this last week, so forgive me for having two of these, but, but if you find there's a person that you struggle to to communicate well with or about or whatever you're talking behind somebody's back you raise your voice every time you talk to them you're bitter at them and so everything you say seems kind of angry if there's a person like that in your life I think a great starting point would just be to pray for them and to pray consistently for them I think that's awesome but Paul here has this context he's like hey we should be praying for opportunities to, to lead people into Christianity if we're Christians and we should be looking for those opportunities and then he says let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. In fact, we read this other thing uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, a very similar thing. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. It's a call for Christians. We should be always ready to give people an answer that want to know about Jesus. In Colossians 4.5, just before the verse we're looking at now, it says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Oh, this is huge. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Your conversations with non-Christians should be an exercise in making the most of every opportunity. If you're talking to a guy at work that doesn't love Jesus, if you're talking about you know, the quarterly report or whatever, 
You have to train yourself if you're going to re- replace your bad communication. You have to train yourselves to see it as an opportunity to, to share Jesus with them. Now, that does not mean, listen to me, that does not mean that you need to preach the gospel every time you're given the quarterly report. In fact, uh, the Bible doesn't say that that's true, uh, but I, I would just say that my own personal ideas and based on what I read in the Bible about how they evangelize people, that probably you, you're not going to be doing the best thing if you go, hey, Bob, like we're in the black this month. Let me share Jesus with you. That's not, that's not what this passage is saying. The passage is saying that you are looking for opportunities, you're looking for opportunities, you're looking to give an answer to a person, and you're ready with an answer if they ask about Jesus, but what it actually says is that in those conversations about quarterly reports or whatever, that that you should have those conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Grace doesn't just mean charming speech. It's not like you're graceful. It's more like gracious. Your conversation should, should be a part of an extension of the incredible grace that we've talked about that Jesus has poured out on you through his death. It means that we should, we should be kind, forgiving, loving towards the person that we're interacting with, but it also means that we should be looking to incorporate in that conversation's little slivers, little hints of the gospel story that we know and believe. It says that it should be seasoned with salt, which uh, lots of usages for salt, and, and the Bible uses it in different ways as different kind of illustration, but, uh, but really here it's probably talking about making those conversations important, making them matter, not making them entertaining, not making them taste better, but making them matter. What Paul is getting at is that, that we should see every, every moment of communication with another person as an opportunity to, to make the conversation matter, to make it important, to make it worthwhile, to move the person a step closer to maybe giving their lives to Jesus. I, I, I tell you, I've, I've, sometimes I'm good at this. I've, I've made a point of this at certain periods in certain periods of my life. I'm not always good at it. But I'll tell you this. If you are looking, if you are constantly looking for an opportunity to inject truth and love, important things into conversations that connect to, to Jesus and what he's done for us, then you will find those opportunities. Most of us are not trying to make the most of every opportunity. When we talk, we just talk like the rest of the world. But here, I mean, Paul is saying, you rid yourselves of evil conversation, of hurtful conversation that will tear down relationships. Great, we all wanna do that. But we replace it with Jesus conversation and with outsiders, people outside of our faith. That means conversations that point them to the truths and the love of Jesus, even if we don't say Jesus at all. Even if his name never comes up. I mean, the simple, easy one is, is you, can, you can talk about your church involvement. I, I think a lot of you have used that, right? You just get it out there. Let people know you're a churchgoer. But there's other ways. There's subtle ways. When you talk about movies, man, which we all do, I think you should find redeeming factors in those movies. You should find that, and you don't go, hey, that reminds me of the Bible. That's, you do that with Christians, maybe. You don't do that with the outsider, but you find, you find in stories ways to point them to the fact that the world has fallen. A lot of people don't believe in sin anymore. And and I think one of the great things that we can do as Christians is just show people that there is evil and and that that evil is not relative, it's universal, and we all agree there is bad and there is good. 
And when people start to believe in bad and good, then they start to think, well, I'm bad. I'm bad, and what do I do about that badness? And then maybe they come along and they say, hey, you, I know we're talking about the quarterly reports, but you have a minute. I feel really guilty about this thing. And boom, you're ready with an answer. You're ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, despite the fact that you do bad too. I'm telling you, we, here's it, here it is. What, what do you replace? What do you replace your, your filthy communication with? Well, well, it's admonishing believers, helping believers in their spiritual journeys, speaking truth to them, and, and then looking for ways to answer unbelievers and the, the fears and the, uh, the, the sins and the difficulties and the struggles that they have. That's what we replace. That's what we replace our evil, our filthy communication with. I'd say it like this one more time. You must rid yourselves of filthy communication and replace it with Jesus' conversation. Conversations that admonish believers and and answer unbelievers. I I, I hope, man, I hope, I I mean, maybe you kind of came into the series like this, like, your conversation was middle. I don't know. It wasn't that good. It wasn't that bad. Uh, but maybe some of you are like, I need, to, I need to get rid of this. It's time to trash it. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to put it with all the love letters and the photos, except for the one on your mother-in-law's kitchen, um, in your mother-in-law's kitchen. And it's time to do something better. And the something better is that, that you, you look at your conversations with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. You look at them and you say, I'm going to make every one of those, every single one of those, a Jesus conversation. I will do my best to help Christians move forward in their relationship with Christ. And I will do my best to help non-Christians take steps towards having a relationship with Christ. You must rid yourselves of filthy communication and replace it with Jesus' conversation. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the the work you've done in my life in this series. Uh, I have to start with that because, Lord, just publicly, you already know this, but for sake of the people listening, God, this has been, uh, for me, uh, maybe the most influential sermon series I've done for my own spiritual life. It's uh, really had an impact on me and my thinking and, and my communication, and, and so I thank you for that, and I pray that uh, the fruit would continue to bear out in me, and, and that, God, you would produce fruit in others through this series of sermons. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that's not no- known for fun programs that's not known for, uh, you know, uh, putting on a good show, but a church that's known for, uh, in some ways, the way that we communicate with each other. That God, when a person comes to this church, they can't help but hear your truth, not just from the stage, God, but in every conversation. I pray that we would be people who, who love each other enough, God, to admonish and teach one another with the things that we are learning, God. And, and I'm so thankful for the people that have that have encouraged me, God, with, with the things that they're learning. Lord, I'm thankful for a church where it's not me telling everybody how to live, but us, God, trying to inspire each other to live better. I, I, I pray, Lord, that, that we would be a church where, where biblical conversation becomes normal, where we're expressing our, our, our love and our devotion to you because of your grace becomes just a part of the culture. I thank you that we have some of that, but I pray that you'd grow us in it. 
I pray, God, for us as individuals, Lord, as, as we interact with each other, help it to be godly and, and Jesus-driven. But, but even more, I, I, I ask this morning, God, that as we go into our communities, into the world, into our places of business, that we, God, would, would inject your grace and your truth into every conversation. Not being the weird person that always shares the gospel in its entirety and uh, quotes verses at every turn because I just don't think it works, but being the people, God, that look for opportunities to share truth and love and grace in every conversation because we look at others and know, God, that, <laughs> that they need you, Lord. I pray that each of us would replace our filthy communication with Jesus' conversation, God, and, and that you would help us because it's hard, that your Holy Spirit would help us, God, because it is hard. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for the work that you've done in this series, and I pray that the fruit would continue to bear out. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.